entering the Freedom Hut. Trump is taking hydroxychloroquine. The tyrant governors strike back at freedom. Pelosi calls Trump something mean. Impeachment 2.0 could still happen. AG Barr dropkicks the deep state. Biden tries a nickname. The Me Too rewrite of history. The UN language police. And do you want Fauci on your underwear? Coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I think I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. A lot of good things have come out about the hydroxy. A lot of good things have come out. And you'd be surprised at how many people are taking it, especially the frontline workers, before you catch it. The frontline workers, many, many are taking it. I happen to be taking it. I happen to be taking it. I'm taking it. Hydroxychloroquine. Right now, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, I started taking it. Because I think it's good. I've heard a lot of good stories. And if it's not good, I'll tell you right, I'm not going to get hurt by it. It's been around for 40 years for malaria, for lupus, for other things. I take it. Frontline workers take it. A lot of doctors take it. Excuse me. A lot of doctors take it. I take it. Now, I hope to not be able to take it soon because, you know, I hope they come up with some answer. Welcome to Buck Sexton Show, everybody. President Trump yesterday dropping the bombshell. That's not really a bombshell at all, of course. It's completely normal. I don't know why everyone's freaking out about it. But he is taking some uh, preventative measures with regard to his health because he is the leader of the free world, because we need him to stay healthy in this fight. Hydroxychloroquine is something that he's willing to give a, give a shot to, right? He's, he's hoping that this will help him out. Uh, there's still some early studies out there that suggest, <clears throat> and this is what I had been told all along, uh, by, by doctors that I know who were treating people with it. I mean, we keep getting this media backlash to this drug, hydroxychloroquine, that we all know now because it's been repeated a million times. It's been around for decades. It's used to treat malaria. It's used to treat lupus and other conditions. We've all heard that stuff, and we know it. But the media still goes, oh, my gosh, he's promoting a drug that's reckless and unsafe. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. Here you go. Here's here's Dr. Uh, Gupta on CNN, for example. Oh, what a surprise. CNN finds a doctor who's going to tell us that this is just wrong. What Trump is doing. Oh, my gosh. Good heavens. Play 10. Point is, Sanjay, that when you're the president, you can't just be concerned about your own health. You have to be concerned about the nation's yeah. health here. And there's an impact to what he says and does. It's a uh, it's terribly irresponsible it sets a bad example and and maybe even dangerous it is dangerous i mean people actually going out and doing some of these things i think you know when it comes to uh, for example the mask wearing we now know that there are people uh, required to wear masks he still doesn't wear one but that may have contributed to the exposure uh, jonathan is talking about. i'm sure it did contribute to the exposure had people been wearing masks they probably wouldn't be in this situation if if in fact the president has had a significant exposure and now they're a 
little panic trying to figure out is there anything we can do it's it's important to keep in mind that for you know several weeks if not months they've been talking about from the federal government ways to mitigate that exposure that was not happening at the white house i also think it's interesting with this hydroxychloroquine you know uh, dr conley writes in his letter that we balance the evidence for and against hydroxychloroquine uh, there isn't any evidence to use it oh my gosh there is in fact Evidence. It's it's not definitive, but there's certainly evidence uh, that that people have been citing, and there's early stage research on this that suggests that it it is helpful as a prophylaxis, meaning you take it beforehand. You don't wait till you have it, and they may have no surprise. The experts may have been wrong at the federal level when they said that they only wanted this to be given to people who were in hospitals and in effectively the worst stage of the disease's progression right we only i mean let's think about this for a second if you're too far along with an antiviral and you're taking an antiviral you've already had a lot of virus replication and so perhaps that virus replication has gone beyond the ability of your immune system and even this additional drug to slow down, to stop, and to prevent the inflammation in the lungs, the other dangerous things. Now, why are we even talking about this? Because the, the media, once again, is always looking for a way to be oppositional to Trump, even when it comes to something like this. Is he not allowed to make decisions about his health? Is he not allowed to say, you know what? I've decided that I'm going to take it upon myself to uh, take this because I want to be as safe as possible for the American people, because I know that it's it's incumbent upon me. It's necessary that I stay in the fight because we're trying to get the country reopened. You have people who are just losing their minds. It's the most predictable thing in the world. They are losing their minds over this issue. Yeah, they had asked my, my friend Kaylee McEnany about it yesterday at press conference. Oh, my gosh, the president of hydroxychloroquine. Uh, play clip eight. The president just wanted to be transparent about his personal health decision that he made in consultation with his doctor. Um, and one of the things that I really want to get out there this morning that unfortunately there's a lot of misinformation about is, you know, first let me emphasize strongly uh, that any use of hydroxychloroquine has to be in consultation with your doctor. You have to have a prescription. Uh, that's the way it must be done. That being said, I talked to the FDA commissioner this morning, Stephen Hahn. He said hydroxychloroquine has been approved for three other uses. Uh, we have a lot of information about the safety of this drug, though ultimately you make that decision with your doctor. So some of the misreporting on other networks, um, these apoplectic um, analyses of hydroxychloroquine ignore the fact that tens of millions of people around the world have used this drug for other purposes, in including some people in my communications office uh, who used it for malaria prophylaxis before traveling to other parts of the world. I mean, this would be like if we were taking... Uh, you know, a, a standard and some people do take a standard antibiotic with the hydroxychloroquine. They take azithromycin. It would be like saying, well, there are side effects. You know, you know what? Actually, it's not even worth going over. People that have a problem with this are just loons. They're loons. The president in consultation with his doctor. He can't wait. Don't they understand? He can't wait to see if something better is on the horizon because we need the president to stay healthy now. And he is willing to try this very safe drug because there's nothing else better out there. I spoke to a friend of mine yesterday who was a frontline 
uh, uh, doctor, a frontline MD at one of the major Brooklyn hospitals that's been treating as many COVID patients, you know, per capita, per, per in, in terms of the size of the hospital. It's been, you know, very, very high level of COVID patients. And here is here's what he said. I mean, I asked him about how the treatments are going. And and I asked him about prophylaxis with Trump specifically. He said, always thought prophylaxis made more sense than treating an infection than was already there. Had some colleagues meeting fellow doctors at a hospital overrun with covid patients. This is a guy who's been you know, a friend of my family's now for going on 15, 20 years. He said, once we found out the results of our antibody tests at the hospital, we felt our PPE and home disinfection routine were enough. Um, but we, he did think that prophylaxis for some of them was <clears throat> worth trying, and they did. I also asked him about general treatment of this. I said, are you guys better at this? Uh, he said, we're capable of testing everyone who comes in. COVID is in single digits now when it comes to intake. This helps with triage and keeps, the, uh, keeps hold the hospital COVID free because they can test everybody. In terms of treating, we're using the same things as before, but no signs of when to use what drugs, etc. Also, the staff is more accustomed to treating COVID patients, which certainly helps. So that's somebody who's been dealing with COVID patients all day, all the time for now two months. And he's saying that he had colleagues who were taking it as a prophylaxis because they were being exposed to so much virus. So are they being reckless? Oh, are they terrible people because they're trying to take this additional step to see? You know, is anyone who tries an experimental cancer treatment reckless? This is idiocy. But you got a lot of idiots out there. You got a lot of really stupid people who want to criticize those who want to take actions to try to keep themselves healthy when the medical community right now, just frankly, does not have the answers. They don't know what to do about this. They don't have a cure. They don't have an effective treatment. So we're trying treatments before we can prove them all the way through. And, you know, I got to say, I was a little disappointed. I mean, I, I don't watch Cavuto's show, um, but he's had me on a few times in the past. He was uh, a cordial enough gentleman. I, I don't know what got into him yesterday. He, he made a big deal of this when Trump made the announcement. This was Cavuto's show on Fox News, Play 19. The VA study to which the president alluded wasn't a loaded political one. It was a test on patients there and those who took it in a vulnerable population, including those with respiratory or other conditions, they died. I want to stress again, they died. If you are in a risky population here and you are taking this as a preventative uh, treatment to ward off the virus, or in a worst case scenario, you are dealing with the virus and you are in this vulnerable population, it will kill you. I cannot stress enough. This will kill you. So again, whatever benefits the president says this has, and it certainly it has had for those suffering from malaria, dealing with lupus, this is a, a leap that, that should not be taken casually by those watching at home or assuming, well, the president of the United States says it's okay. Uh, even the FDA was very cautious about this, unless in a clinical trial, safely and deliberately watched. I only make this not to make a political point here, but a life and death point. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And I mean, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. He hasn't even spoken to people with expertise in the subject matter to understand the difference between taking something to prevent infection versus taking something once the infection has already completely established itself. People, for example, that are trying to avoid HIV infection will take something uh, called PrEP, 
which is meant to prevent the viral load in your body from establishing an ongoing infection. And that's, I think, something that now, as, as we see how we might be able to use this drug, it might be in that capacity, in that context. But, I mean, the, this turned into the biggest news story in the country yesterday. We have so many other things to focus on. I just I have a little more on this. I mean, Pelosi took a swipe at Trump over it. Of course, you know, the, the, the morning morons over at Morning Joe, uh, there are people that are just using this as another opportunity to show how much they hate Trump and how awful he is. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll dispense with them briefly and then we'll move on to, like, how do we reopen the country? How are we doing state by state? What do we know about the actual risk from the disease? A, a new study out from Professor uh, Ioannidis out in California at Stanford University uh, Medical School that I think you'll want to hear. He's got a, a real based on the on the actual data what this is. And he, and he lines it up against the flu. So I mean, and, and which one is and how much more dangerous is COVID-19? I'll have that number for you. So we've got a lot more coming. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. As far as the president is concerned, um, the uh, our, he's our president, and I would rather he not be taking something that has not been approved uh, by the scientist, especially in his age group and in his, shall we say, weight group, what is morbidly obese, they say. So I, I, uh, I, I think it was, it's not a good idea. Whoa, 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 hey, oh, hey, hey, Nancy, whoa, whoa, settle down, settle down. That's a little rough, a little rough, okay? Look, the Trumpster, and I'm not, I'm not throwing stones at anybody ever on this issue, but especially these days with my diet of gluten-free mac and cheese and ice cream, and I've made a lot of banana bread recently, too. Let me tell you, homemade banana bread is easy and delicious, uh, but Nancy... I mean, you know, the Trumpster likes a good cheeseburger, as as do the rest of us. And, you know, yeah, he's not about to win an Ironman competition, but I mean, morbidly obese. Come on. Come on. I mean, producer Mark, right? This is this is not nom. There are rules like that was unfair. Uh, it was a little much. You know, I mean, technically, technically, medically. <laughs> Look, first of all, I don't I there's there's some people who are doing a lot of pearl clutching over this. I think it's funny that you can go on CNN and say that it's not supported by the science, which is just not really true. It's, that's an inaccurate way of describing what's going on here. And call the president morbidly obese. And Anderson Cooper's like, meh, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> CNN is disgusting and has no reputation to protect anyway. Uh, but you look, Trump dishes it out. You know, Trump is going to take it too sometimes. And I mean, I think that Pelosi, what she said is absurd. And I mean, it's wrong. He's not mor- morbidly obese from what I understand is if you look up the definition is 100 pounds overweight or over 40% BMI. And, and then that's when, and they have this term, I mean, morbid, morbidity, because it becomes a major health risk when you reach that point. Trump weighs 240 pounds, according to the interwebs. All right, I don't know. I mean, do we believe that one, Producer Mark? What do we think? I think that's a little uh, low of an estimate. I mean, I would have said, I would have said two, I would have said 260. I would have said 260, but they, the Internet says 240. And so who, who am I to judge? So but let's say it's 250 just to kind of split the difference. Does that Trump is 6'2 or 6'3? And there's no way that he's and look again. I don't I don't think that it's Pelosi has committed some cardinal sin. I mean, look, 
you know, he calls her like a drunk moron all the time, right? I mean, it, this is very clear that these two don't like each other. And, you know, if Trump is going to get personal with people, they're going to get personal back with him. And this is now the environment we're in. And I think we we're in this environment before. It's just Republican just took it. And we're like, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a good boy and not fight back. But, you know, Trump is like, nah, I'm going to fight back. But if you were to do the math on this one, if Trump is 6263, there's no way that his ideal weight would be if you do the 100 pounds overweight as a, that his ideal weight's 150 pounds. A six foot three man who weighs 150 pounds is going to be a, a uh, you know, a stick. Right, producer Mark? Yes. Right. That's too skinny. That's too skinny. I mean, even at my height, weighing 150, let me tell you, I don't weigh, I don't weigh 150. And this, you know, this, 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 uh, this hit a little close to home, too. Pelosi's throwing around the obese term, like, whoa, whoa, Nancy, Nancy. Come on. We're all in quarantine here. We're, you know, we're nesting. We're spending a little more time on the couch. Can't go to the gym. You know, so we've all put on a few. But let's not get crazy. Let's not get, let, let's, let's see where we are in the fall. We've got to give ourselves the summer, hopefully open, hopefully without the tyrants running around telling us that we can't do anything. Give ourselves the summer and see where we are. Right, producer Mark, you and I, we were gonna we were gonna get in tip top shape. Not our fault that they made us stay home and eat eat groceries all day. Exactly. As soon as the gyms open up, I'll change things. Exactly. That's what I keep saying. I mean, you know, Papa Buck's gonna bring back the six pack as soon as they let him go into the gym. And okay, man, not not bring it back, achieve one. But I'm saying I'm gonna get there. But for right now, oh Nancy, you are. Uh, you know, you are shameless. I thought, look, I think it's, it was, it was an entertaining moment just because it shows you how much she hates that she really despises the president and he really despises her. This is not a game. They really don't like each other. And you could tell when she let it, she's like morbidly obese. She really enjoyed saying it, you know, right before she knocked back a, you know, a fifth of, uh, pop off or Chopin. She probably drinks Chopin. Let's be honest. She's not a pop off drinker. What's what is the what is the cheapest vodka, producer Mark? Like what was when when you were in when you were in college? What did you guys drink? Uh, probably Svetka. Yeah, you know these these Russian sounding names. They're all made in like the back of some parking lot next to a McDonald's in Massachusetts, but they give it a they give it a Russian name. Oh, it's very good from Russia. It's made from potato. No, it's not. Some guy named Phil behind a like sitco station who's you know running the still that's that's what, that's what it, phil who runs the still all right let's get into real stuff the lockdowns and beating them that's coming up thanks for listening to the buck sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iheart radio app or wherever you get your podcasts in terms of enforcement uh, nypd will be out parks department will be out obviously first and foremost to Help make everyone remember, don't go in the water. You're not supposed to go in the water. It's a dangerous situation to ever go in the water when there's not lifeguards present. So there'll be a constant reminder of that. If anyone tries to get in the water, they'll be taken right out of the water. So we want to keep people moving. We want to make sure nothing gets too crowded. Don't want to see the boardwalks crowded. Just classic social distancing. I guess I shouldn't say classic because it's something we've only dealt with for a few months, but it, it feels like it's been a long time. We understand the basic concept of social distancing and crowding, and the NYPD will always work to avoid crowds and gatherings. So they'll be out, and Parks Enforcement will be out. This is so dumb. And you're hearing it, you're seeing it from blue state governors across the country. Blue states are completely and utterly insane. 
on this stuff. I don't know what the heck is wrong. Well, we do. We talk about what's wrong with them all the time, but <sighs> you can't go in the can't go in the water. Why? Who's going to get coronavirus in the water? What are the what are we even talking about here with this idiot? But it's not just for those of you who are like, yep, Buck, that's right. New York City, you know, stinks. You got New York stuff going on there. You got this in a lot of other places, too. Uh, Jay Inslee, governor out in Washington state, who's like, oh, we're going to defeat climate change. This guy is a loon. Everything's climate change, the most important thing in the world. This guy is like a, seriously, it's like he's founded some bizarre cult. Well, climate change, catastrophism is a cult, so I guess maybe he's a high priest in it. And he's now telling everybody that people are to, quote, quarantine immediately for 14 days upon experiencing first symptoms, including entire households. And he's got a statewide contact tracing plan for COVID-19. Quarantine to be a first symptoms. Fifty percent of people are asymptomatic. So start with that. And what are the first symptoms? You have a little bit of a sore throat. You have a little bit of a uh, little bit of malaise, a little bit fatigued. For a lot of people, what are these symptoms even going to even going to look like? My friends, they, they keep thinking if they clamp down with even more control. Then somehow we'll be safer. Do they really believe that or do they just want more control? With the numbers getting better, with fewer people dying, fewer people going to the hospital with every passing day now, they are still clamping down and fighting so hard against the, the beginning, I mean, the first phase of reopening. You also have in, uh, in Illinois, Governor Pritzker there. He is saying that uh, he tried to ram through an emergency order that would sanction misdemeanor criminal penalties if a business opens and says they can, you're seeing this now. You got this the gym in New Jersey. You got barbershops. You know, everyone's kind of interviewing these first folks who are willing to open up and say, look, I, I don't care. I, I'm opening my business. You know, I'll tell you this right now. If I could go get my haircut, I would do it tomorrow. I'm not worried about getting COVID-19 and I'm not worried about spreading it. All right. If I have to wear a mask in the barbershop, fine. But, you know, th- this is absurd. This is absurd. And the damage that has been done to people, and people have lost their jobs, their futures, their livelihoods. I know people who have uh, not just furloughed, fired. Fired from their jobs because companies are hemorrhaging cash. Their businesses are entirely shut down. And, you know, the people that are at the top, the people who are the corporate officers, yeah, you know, they'll make sure that the government... Page, you know, the government uh, programs flow to keep the basic structure of the company open, but there's still massive layoffs. There's still people who aren't going to be able to get their jobs back. I mean, it, it's appalling what's going on right now. Absolutely appalling. But this is what this is what we see. This is what's happening. The, the destruction that is being wrought state after state and start with this. I mean, let's get down to some very straightforward concepts here. How will we be in a better position in Illinois, in New York, in California? You know, God bless you, Florida and Georgia and Texas, you know, states where people are like, you know what? Freedom still matters. But in those other states, we're going to be in such a better position in a few weeks than we are now based on what? 
the difference between opening and not opening in New York into the into phase one is a couple of hundred empty ICU beds, for example. Oh, oh, so if we had an additional 200 ICU beds in a city of over 8 million people, then we could, but we can't open yet, and it might take a couple more weeks before we can. Where did they come up with this number? They just made it up. Just arbitrary. Are we not going to have any possibility of virus transmission in two, three, four, six weeks? No, the virus will still be out there. And as I've been telling you, we need to open up as fast as we can and get as much going as we can because they're going to they're going to try to shut us down again right in October. Shut everything down in October, going to the election and the markets will tank and then businesses will really panic because, well, we're now going to we're now going to shut down every time there's something out there that is dangerous to our health. Well, we've always lived with things that are dangerous to our health. This is not an existential risk to society. This is not an existential. The virus is not an existential risk to society. The government's response to it, unfortunately, is. This is wrong. What they're doing is wrong. They've made an enormous mistake. They've done incalculable damage to us. They have already shown a willingness to run roughshod over the Constitution, common sense, and our basic rights. And do you see any... Humility from the people making the decisions here, from the petty tyrants. Do you see any sense that they understand the limits of their own comprehension, the limits of their cognition, and how they can't see the future? They shouldn't be making these kinds of determinations for all the rest of us. No, you see de Blasio saying, if you go in the water, we're going to pull you out of the water. Oh, that's great. Anything else he wants to let us know? Complete, complete morons running many of the largest states in the in the country. I mean, real status, totalitarian-minded, uh, petty tyrants. That's what we've got. And it's, it's a shame, because if we had people that were more willing to look at what's really happening, we'd be in a much better position than we currently are. Um, if we looked at, if we had people that would make decisions based upon common sense, Everything would start to seem like it was moving in the right direction, but they really do want to slow us down. And they want to squeeze as much as they can out of all of us. The government wants to squeeze as much as they can out of us, right? This is now, isn't it so circular that they shut down the economy, and then in order for us to get the basic funding we need, this is what the Paycheck Protection Program, I mean, to keep these businesses alive, and a lot of them are never coming back, And we all need to understand that right now. There's going to be mass unemployment that lingers far beyond the reopening. And there's going to be a tremendous amount of finger pointing over this. And I have told you this before. They got Trump to bend the knee and they they finally and he was Herculean in his ability to withstand all this stuff. But in year four, they got him to bend the knee by extending the shutdown. And that's they had been building to that. That's what they wanted. That's what the media wanted. They got their wish. And now we're in a tough spot. We're in a tough spot, not just as a country that is hemorrhaging millions of jobs, that is losing businesses, but also the idiot left knows that they have finally gotten a real shot in on this administration, one that could linger, one that could really do damage. And they're going to try to let, they're going to try to use this to the best of their ability in the fall and squeeze as much out of this in in the process as they can. I mean, this is what this Pelosi bill is. Mitch McConnell talked about the the Heroes Act. Here's what he said, play 22. The 1800-page doorstop 
that Speaker Pelosi dropped last week was appropriately greeted as the legislative equivalent of a stand-up comedy. There were tax hikes on small businesses in the midst of a small business crisis. There were targeted tax cuts for the wealthiest people in the bluest states. In sum, a $3 trillion wish list slapped together in a clumsy effort to never let a good crisis go to waste. Serious worker in the Senate, partisan pointlessness over in the House. 1,800 pages. I doubt Pelosi read eight of those pages. 1,800 pages. You know what that is? That's when you have all these different special interests that are working with the uh, working with the staffs on Capitol Hill to just give them exactly what Mitch McConnell said, the giant progressive wish list. We want all these goodies. Look, my friends, this is now almost entirely a political fight. We see that we can go about our lives. We can live. We can go in the open air. We can start to enjoy freedom again. People want to keep you from that. And it's not for your own good anymore. If it ever was, it's not for your own good. So get ready for it because we are going to have to dig in. The other side is determined. They're crazy, but they're determined. And they view this as their chance to wrest power away from the Trump movement and to enlarge, to engorge financially and and just from a, a pure power perspective, the federal government and state governments. And we'll be living in a very different country, a country where the relationship between citizen and state has been altered for all time. That's what we face right now, unless we start saying we have learned this lesson and this is never happening again. No second shutdown. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So what's the scene like across the country? We can get some insight about how things are going in Florida for sure from our buddy Rogan O'Hanley, who is joining us now. He is better known to folks as the political commentator, and I like to say meme czar or meme superhero, D.C. Drano. He is now with us. Rogan, a.k.a. Drano. Great to have you, man. Thanks for having me on, Buck. Big, big fan of your show. So how are things going in Florida right now? You guys are in a state of reopen. Are the beaches open? Just bring us down to the scene there. Yeah, I mean, it's constantly evolving, and it's county by county. Southeast Florida and Miami and Palm Beach has a lot stricter uh, lockdown regulations than where I personally live, which is central Florida on the West Coast in the Tampa-St. Pete area. Beaches are open. Restaurants are open, about 25% capacity, which is not being strictly enforced. And you have to try to find someone with a face mask on in public. Well, that's good news that people are actually obeying the science in a sense instead of obeying the dictates. Because as we know, the chance of getting this in open air from casual contact walking past people is, is effectively zero. Um, but what, what do you think about about how, you know, what are we seeing now just at a macro political level are, are people waking up to the tyranny in some of these states, to the, to the stupidity of the nanny state? Or do you worry that the, the, the prevailing or the, the consensus will be, yeah, well, if we have to do this again, we'll just lock down again? I, I don't think they're gonna, we're going to have the level of trust that we gave our institutions uh, next time around, especially media and, and state government. I think President Trump has done a fantastic job, but I think uh, you know, a lot of these blue state governors have gone way overboard and they've politically weaponized the entire pandemic at this point. You know, went from flattening the curve to now finding a cure. 
uh, to now never going back to normal. And I think the special election in California's 25th district was a big wake-up call to the left. If the UK election wasn't a wake-up call, this 25th district uh, should have been. And I think that's Rogan, we actually to happen. Rogan, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but we actually haven't really talked about what happened in the 25th district. So you just give us a quick run on, uh, on what happened there. Quick rundown is the 25th district encompasses North LA and a bit of uh, the Valley. I'm used to live in LA. So, you know, it's not quite in the center of the, of the leftist chaos, downtown LA, but it does encompass some of that. And, that, was, that seat was held by Katie Hill, who, as you know, resigned in disgrace over her uh, affair allegations with a staffer and the very salacious pictures that were leaked. Um, and the district used to be held by a Republican, but Hillary Clinton won the district in 2016, I think by six to eight points. Um, and then uh, Mike Garcia just flipped that district and he won by 10 to 11 points. So we're looking at almost a 20-point swing. What do you attribute that to? I mean, that that is good. And we got a big audience out in KEIB Los Angeles. That's our station, our affiliate out there. So what what happened in that area? Uh, I, I, I From what I'm hearing, for, you know, a lot of it's anecdotal. You're not going to get a lot of data on the fly with all this as it's evolving. But I've talked with so many friends in Los Angeles that said this is their breaking point. They're out. They're leaving. They're moving. Uh, no, no, no more of this. And so I have to imagine that that sentiment is held by a lot of people out there. And you know, listen, there's a lot of people that grew up there, that's their home, and, and they're gonna fight back. And I think California, I think the left is losing their independent, the independence. I think, uh, you know, independence went two out of three for Mike Garcia. And if that's happening in Southern California, nationwide, watch out, Democrats, we're watch speak- out. We're speaking to Rogan O'Hanley. Those of you who are on Instagram certainly know him as the one and only DC Drano, who even got brought to the White House for his uh, his his meme skills. What makes a great memester, Drano? How, how can for the folks out there listening, they often say, Buck, I want to do a podcast. And I say, OK, do a podcast. Step one is do a podcast. See how it goes. Right. But I mean, if you can give anyone tips, because the I think the the one of the great uh, one of the great sort of creative moments of the Trump era is unleashing folks like yourself with the web, with the free marketplace of ideas of these of these memes, which I'm saying are the new political cartoons. You know, if this were like the 1880s or the 1920s, memes are the political cartoons of our day, which can have a lot of influence. H- how do you see it and how does somebody get into it? Um, you know, like, like like you said, you just got to do it. I For me, it was uh, that I thought memes were arguably the most effective way of commu- communicating to people in our country under the age of 40. A uh, few things impact the culture more. I noticed years ago when pizza and wine memes were the, all the rage on these comedy pages. And then I started noticing in my daily communication with people, you know, people were making these pizza and wine jokes. I'm like, all right, so this has a lot of influence. Uh, for me personally, I think what works best is hitting on current issues. You know, you don't want to get into the boomer meme category where you're talking about, oh, big government uh, is bad. Like, all right, we know that. But hitting on hot button cultural issues that are happening preferably that day uh, and and it it drives home a a very valuable point that other people aren't necessarily making. You don't want to copy others. You don't want to imitate. You want to be original. And it's a way to to say a lot. You know, we're we're visual creatures, I think, when it comes down to it. We all love movies, TV. So find an interesting, funny or, or gripping way to convey a point through the use of pictures mixed with words. And that's all it is. If the Trump movement has a meme czar, my friends, I declare it is Rogan O'Hanley, a.k.a. D.C. Drano. Rogan, great to have you, man. Everybody follow him on Instagram if you're not already. 
See what I'm talking about? And uh, Rogan, stay safe. Enjoy your freedom down there, which you have. And I don't up here in crazy New York, but enjoy it. Thank you. And, and I, I aim to show as many people around the country as possible that freedom is back in Florida and other states. You know, I posted that video of myself at a bar, restaurant a few nights ago. President Trump retweeted it. Nobody was wearing a face mask. I feel totally fine. This disease barely affects people under 40. So let's follow the data and let's reclaim our rights and our freedom. All righty. Rogan, thanks so much. DC Drano, everybody. Thank you, Buck. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The law enforcement and intelligence apparatus of this country were involved in advancing a false and utterly baseless Russian collusion narrative against the president. The proper investigative and prosecutive standards of the Department of Justice were abused, in my view, in order to reach a particular result. We saw two different standards of justice emerge, one that applied to President Trump and his associates, and the other that applied to everybody else. We can't allow this ever to happen again. The Durham investigation is trying to get to the bottom of what happened, and it will determine whether there were any federal laws broken, and if there were, those who broke the laws uh, will be held to account. But this cannot be, and it will not be, a tit-for-tat exercise. We are not going to lower the standards just to achieve a result. The only way to stop this vicious cycle, the only way to break away from a dual system of justice is to make sure that we scrupulously apply the single and proper standard of justice for everybody. The law enforcement and intelligence apparatus of this country, according to the sitting attorney general, as you just heard right there, were involved in advancing a false and utterly baseless Russian collusion narrative against the president. This is Attorney General Bill Barr saying in a very straightforward way that the whole thing was a fraud and that the apparatus of the government was in on it and that people were lied to for years by some of the most prominent media outlets in the world, by some of the most famous journalists in the world. They were lied to. There was a complete fraudulence at the heart of this entire storyline. And they were involved in creating this story. Right? The media outlets themselves took it upon themselves to be a part of the story instead of covering the story. They were involved with leaks from administration officials to push this stuff. They didn't question. They didn't verify. They just ran with it. All to be hashtag resistance. It's it's stunning when you think about what the country has been through and the lies that were told and the number of people that went on TV and just made complete and utter morons of themselves. I mean, really just disastrously stupid analysis on TV about Russia collusion, about Trump being a Russian asset. How could anybody at this point? I mean, just take a step back from it for a moment. How could anyone think? that we could trust the top of the FBI or the CIA going forward with any politically sensitive investigation, with with any issue that touches on a a hot button, uh, the hot button politics of the moment. With with a regime, with a a presidency 
in the balance, do you really think that this couldn't happen again? The only way it won't happen again is if we have a full accounting of the facts and the truth. And we now have an attorney general that I believe is dedicated to getting that. Now, that doesn't mean and I don't think it will happen because I, I saw that meme over the weekend of Obama being let out in handcuffs by Barr and Trump. And that, that's that's not going to happen, folks. It's just not going to happen. Obama's not going to be. Barr said it too. Obama's not going to be prosecuted and Biden's not going to be prosecuted. Not for this, for involvement in this scheme. It would be very hard. I mean, it'd be very difficult to even foresee how that could be possible, um, even if they were directing this. Remember, and I, I know people don't like to hear this. It's more fun to yell about how they're all going to get locked up. They're going to get locked up. I mean, no, they're not going to get locked up. Uh, Biden and Obama are not. Anyone want to place a bet on that? Trust me, they're not. And with Biden, there is a, a consideration not one that the left would have, but the consideration would be, could you imagine what it would do to the country if you tried to bring criminal charges? It's really a re- it would be a repeat of what they were facing with Hillary. And we've already seen that they wouldn't charge Hillary, even though she broke the law and that they made a, a decision that there was a uh, the call was already in. I mean, the, the fix was in and the call was made that you're not going to prosecute the Democrats main candidate. Uh, or, or, or candidate, rather, for the presidency, even if she flagrantly and repeatedly broke the law, which she did. And recklessness is in the statute, and she was clearly reckless. No question. So the attorney general is at least speaking the truth on this issue. And let me also say that the judiciary has shown itself to be in on this, too. Now, well, there's no surprise here that the hashtag resistance has made its way to the federal bench There have been innumerable stupid decisions from judges that that aren't so dumb that they didn't recognize what they were doing was deeply political. Right. But what they did decide was that they were going to just get favorable editorials written about them in The New York Times, that they were going to find a way to show people using their positions on the federal bench to show people that they were one of the good guys or good gals. It's a little different, though, in the case of General Flynn, because here you had someone that with Judge Sullivan, we were told is willing to push back on the federal government. But on this issue, no. On this issue, the uh, the president, I'm sorry, on this issue, Judge Sullivan wasn't willing to give basic due process rights, try to protect the due process rights of General Flynn. I mean, the 302, as I've told you, is the document. And this is crazy. Every FBI agent is carrying around a recording device all the time, their phone. Why would you not use a recorder for a conversation that's going to be the legal record of the conversation? Uh, This should just be standard. I mean, the FBI, this shouldn't be allowed anymore. Court should say, sorry, you don't get to just write down what you say someone said. It should be, what did they actually say? Because tone and inflection, all these things matter, too. Any FBI conversation with someone that's going to be a part of an official record and could be used for a criminal proceeding, the conversation itself should be recorded. It shouldn't be written down by hand. What is, what are they going to do next? Use the, uh, you know, that carbon paper they used to have, or if you write really, if you push really hard, it makes a little carbon copy of it beneath it. We actually still were using that at the NYPD when I was there. But not for interviews like this, but they did use it for some administrative stuff. It was pretty shocking. NYPD technology was circa, I was there in 2010, and the technology was circa 19, 
92, I'd say. That's fair. So what do we what are we supposed to take away from this? Now, the attorney general is telling us that there there was not just a, a Democrat partisan and media enabled narrative, but that our own government was a part of this and that our le- our, our election choices will not necessarily be respected by the people who are entrusted with with doing just that, maintaining the, the sanctity of our elections and protecting the rule of law. They, they weren't willing to do it. They thought they had something more important that they were tasked with, and that was just stopping Trump at any cost, at all costs. Now, let me... Oh, here's also what the attorney general said, uh, and, and I think we need to hear... But you're not going to hear a lot of coverage on this because it's damaging to a narrative the media played a huge role in. Play um, clip four. We live in a very divided country right now, and I think that it is critical that we have an election where the American people are allowed to make a decision, a choice between President Trump and Vice President Biden based on a robust debate of policy issues. And we cannot allow this process to be hijacked by efforts to drum up criminal investigations uh, of either candidate. And I'm committed that this election will be conducted without this kind of interference. Any effort to pursue an investigation of either candidate has to be approved by me. Now, what happened to the president, and I've said this many times, what happened to the president in the 2016 election and throughout the first two years of his administration was abhorrent. It was a grave injustice, and it was unprecedented in American history. Unprecedented and a grave injustice. Attorney General Barr uh, has done his country a great service here and and has been for a long time, but especially um, during the Trump era, what the attorney general has been able to do is to just finally he, he has brought a willingness to speak the truth about what they did to Trump, irrespective of all the oh, all the people that used to work in DOJ. Barr should resign. Barr should resign. Does anyone really does anyone really think that that a holder is a better lawyer, or a more ethical person than Attorney General Barr? That's a, that's laughable. Eric Holder, who approved the pardon for Mark Rich, that was basically bought and paid for by Mark Rich's wife under the Clinton administration. Big Democrat donor. My husband fled to Switzerland and, you know, he doesn't want to face justice. Oh, we'll 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 buy a pardon for him. Holder signed off on that. Even he had to admit that was gross later on. It was gross. He knew it was gross. But hey. Money for Democrats. It's what matters. Um, we finally now are, are at least very clear on who was right and who was wrong about all this Russia collusion stuff, too. So many smug, sanctimonious punk journos out there, people with no ethics, no decency. So many of them um, were completely and utterly just just liars about all of this. And were and don't feel chastened by it at all. They, they don't feel any any sense that they misled their audiences, that they did something bad to the country, that they dragged the country through this horrible ordeal of Russia collusion, which was a, a, a absurdity. It was an absurdity all along, all along. 
And now, of course, they're just going to try to move past this. And, and there's the possibility that they're going to resurrect it. I've been saying this to you for a long time, that they're going to bring back Russia-Trump collusion. Doesn't matter how crazy it is. Doesn't matter how obviously false it is. They're going to have some version of this because the people who believed it then still somehow believe it. They're still that nuts. And he still might have Bernie Sanders walking around. No, Trump, Russia, interference in the election? You know, they spent like 100K on Facebook, which why you like, like, you know, one one thousandth of the amount of ads that a bunch of other corporations put on Facebook? It's absurd. Absurd. But this is where we are. People don't care what the truth is. They want to believe what they want to believe about Trump, about Russia, about the lockdowns, about all of it. The only way we can win is if we stick to the truth and refuse to back down because they want you to back down. They want to say, oh, I'm going to do this again. You know, fine. Anything. I'll, I'll agree to anything. Just make it stop. That's what they're hoping for. Their insistence and their insanity becomes a weapon unto itself. We can't allow that. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Last Friday night, in the dark of night, President Trump fired the Inspector General of the State Department, Mr. Steve Linick. Mr. Linick, according to reports, had been investigating the misuse of public resources by Secretary Pompeo and the Trump administration's arms sales to Saudi Arabia. Mr. Linick is now the fifth, yes, the fifth, Inspector General to be fired by President Trump from his or her post in the last few months. They all shared one thing in common. They had the audacity to do their jobs and speak the truth. They had the audacity to try and drain the swamp. They had the audacity to try. Ah, shut up, Schumer. More garbage from this guy. The worst. The worst. What, what, What were they doing exactly? What was the big investigation they had going on? Look, the president has the right, as he knows, to terminate. This is the new thing now. Oh, they, he's firing the inspector generals, and they're the ones that are going <laughs> to give me a break. They never, there's never anything there. They always keep pushing and trying and saying, oh, Trump has done this other terrible thing. And then we look at it. Oh, it turns out it's, you know, no, no big deal, really. Uh, it's, it's no big deal. Or there's nothing there. That's the bigger one. There's just nothing there. They can pretend all day. Here he is. Here's Trump talking about the inspector generals that have been fired. Oh, no. Good heavens. Play 14. Uh, Inspector General, I don't know anything about it. So I don't know him. uh, Never heard of him. But they asked me to uh, terminate him. I have the absolute right as president to terminate. Uh, I said, who appointed him? And they said, President Obama. I said, look, I'll terminate him. Uh, I don't know what's going on other than that. But you'd have to ask Mike Pompeo. Yeah. The stuff that I've heard about so far that they're investigating Pompeo for involves uh, maybe somebody walked his dog on his staff and maybe somebody picked up his dry cleaning. I mean, he's the secretary of state. I mean, it's yeah, you know, you don't want to make a habit of telling people that are in the government's employee to do any personal favors for you. But are, are we Oh, and my, my favorite was that maybe he had someone on his staff make a, a dinner reservation for him. Oh, no. If if it's something that you would do for anyone, a friend or anybody else in your office, is it really we're going to say this is a crime? Is that is that what we're supposed to believe? Is this going to be, you know, restaurant uh, reservation gate? Is that what this is going to turn into? I appreciate the president sees this for the nonsense that it is Uh, here. Play play clip two, Mark. 
Here's a man supposed to be negotiating war and peace with major, major countries with weaponry like the world has never seen before. And the Democrats and the fake news media, they're interested in a man who's walking their dog. And maybe he's busy. And maybe he's negotiating with Kim Jong-un, okay, about nuclear weapons, so that he'd say, please, could you walk my dog? Do you mind walking my dog? I'm talking to Kim Jong-un, or I'm talking to President Xi about paying us for some of the damage they've caused to the world and to us. Please walk my dog. To who? A Secret Service person or somebody, right? I don't know. I think this country has a long way to go. They, they, the priorities are really screwed up. He's a high-quality person, Mike. He's a very high-quality. He's a very brilliant guy. And now I have you uh, telling me about dog walking, washing dishes. And you know what? I'd rather have him on the phone with some world leader than have him wash dishes because maybe his wife isn't there or his kids are there. You know, what are you telling me? It's terrible. It's so stupid. You know how stupid that sounds to the world? It's fantastic, isn't it? Having a president who will just call this out and not say, oh, you know, I'm sorry. I guess, yeah, the system and the, the sanctity of our democracy and whatever you libs say, I'll just repeat. And No, this is dumb. It's dumb. And he knows it. Oh, he fired Inspector General. <laughs> the, the libs who have polluted the apparatus of government to the point where now we can't trust the FBI director. We can't trust people working in the DOJ who are supposed to be apolitical civil servants. Can't trust them. And if you do, you're a fool. And they, they've done all that as, as all as part of their war on the Trump administration and the, you know, their efforts to destroy Trump. They've done all that stuff. And now they have the, the temerity to turn around. That's a fun word. Haven't used that one in a while. The temerity to turn around and say, oh, you guys are um, abusing the system. Trump is firing these inspectors general. Good heavens, sir. No one even knows these guys are. Well, what do they think that he's doing? Oh, the inspector generals are getting fired. You know, they're probably hashtag deep state resistance fighters. And they get sick of it after a while. They get sick of the little hall monitors in some of these federal institutions that look, if they had anything big, we would already know about it. But we also know that there are a lot of ways to just be a constant, you know, goose turd in the punch bowl, so to speak. That's not something you want. That's bad. Or fly in the ointment or whatever. That's a more family friendly way of saying it. So maybe the inspectors general had to go. Trump has the power to do it. Sorry, Libs. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so you got Stacey Abrams, who had a profile in the Washington Post magazine that was the most glowing, over-the-top propaganda about a human being I think I've, I've ever seen with the I mean, maybe the possible exception would be uh, Barack Obama, perhaps Hillary Clinton. But, you know, they, they not even I don't think Hillary even gets this kind of, of treatment. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's amazing. Here, here you go. This is the Washington Post profile and Stacey, Stacey Abrams, who in case you're, you're just wondering, uh, was a state uh, state legislator in Georgia, ran for governor, lost and lost by over 50,000 votes and still goes around basically saying that she won. 
You know, the, the, for all the talk the libs have of how Trump won't leave office in the fall if he loses, won't respect the results of the election, Al Gore, Hillary Clinton didn't respect the results of an election. And Stacey Abrams, you don't need me to finish the sentence, you know what I'm going to say. So why is she getting all of this attention? What has she done that is worthwhile? Tucker on his show last night did a whole a whole segment on we're supposed to think that Stacey Abrams should be not just vice president, but really very possibly turn into the president quite quickly thereafter, because we all can see him. I and Joe Biden is it's it's unsettling and bizarre and pathetic and a little scary that libs will do this, that they'll put forward Joe Biden, who clearly is not up for this does not have the, you know, the, the uh, health situation that he would need to have on this. Um, <laughs> I mean, and here we are. Stacey Abrams, we're told. She's going to be the vice president, which could be, uh, which could be a very important vice presidential pick, is all I'm trying to say. We all know it, all right? And, you know, Tucker said it last night. Other people have been saying it. It's absolutely the case. The, the, the thing in this profile that gets the most attention is, I mean, they created a photo of Stacey Abrams. I mean, she has a cape on and it really looks like the, the cover of, of like an Avengers movie, you know, an Avengers movie. That's what you'd have to say about this. It's like, it's like a superhero situation. Um, superhero situation that you'd say based on what exactly? What has she done? Why should we think that Stacey Abrams is worthy? Well, here, here's how they write this piece. There's a big buzz at the Loudermilk Conference Center in downtown Atlanta as a gathering called Paradigm Shift 2.0. Black women confronting HIV, health and social justice gets underway. Uh, 300 registered participants have journeyed from across the across the country to discuss the many challenges and possibilities facing black women and girls. Uh, the second day's morning keynote was delivered by radical activist and Professor Angela Davis. The hype has been building exponentially for lunchtime guest speaker Stacey Abrams. When she is finally introduced, the women shout and leap to their feet. Young women stand on chairs. Camera phones flash. Abrams, who appears both amused and slightly disturbed by the fuss over her, takes control of the chaotic scene. I've witnessed this level of affection for very few political leaders in the Democratic circles I've been in since the 1980s. They have the last names Clinton, Sanders, Warren, Jackson, and Obama. Uh, this, is, this is the new Beto moment, if you will. You recall that Beto O'Rourke was like, he's like this guy who was totally propped up by the media. And it was like, oh my gosh. He was so impressive. And when they asked him, like, why should you be president? He's basically like, because I'm better. Duh. And then he started dropping some curses and anything to be. He really reminds you know, anything to be the kind of wannabe 90s heartthrob from a short lived show on. Uh, what was that network that had the W the WB? Uh, was that it? Was that the one that had all the teen heartthrob shows on? Yeah, I believe so. It was in the WB. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like the One Tree Hills. And the, you know, Beto was straight out of that. Yeah, I just, I know, like, ever since mom and dad left to go on that 
mission in the Congo to find the magic stones that would save the world. I just feel like it's so hard to play in my grunge band and also take care of my five siblings in this massive mansion in Malibu that our parents just left us in. <laughs> like, like, you could see him. He's that guy. He would be right there. Uh, you know, for all those 90s shows that we could all recall. But that went nowhere, as you remember. I mean, Beto never got any traction. And there was, when you look back, you say, well, what reason was there exactly to believe that Beto O'Rourke was ever going to be a strong candidate? I mean, I won a congressional seat in basically El Paso, Texas. Okay. All right. Does that mean he's going to be a great presidential candidate? But now we got Stacey Abrams and the media is trying to flex its muscles here and, and just create, I mean, to essentially conjure up a narrative, a political story that will be compelling enough that all remember, this is a way they view this as a way to make her president. So they'll pull out all the stops and perhaps the narrative even becomes. And I think Biden, I think Biden's likely to pick her. But if Biden does pick her, we all understand that this is uh, a person who is likely to have to take over for him at some point. And so if the media can just get her in that slot, they view it as almost like they get to pick Stacey Abrams for us to be president, assuming Biden wins, of course, and that there's this transition that is is happening. So, yeah, this this is where we are. This is what we are seeing now. The media uh, the media setting up the what they view as the first uh, black female president, who's, as we know, very progressive politically. They're setting us up for this by making sure that the Biden campaign feels all of this pressure from the media that they're going to need. If, if they're going to be relying on the media as much as they are with all of their, you know, covering for Biden and pretending and, well, we'll get into the Me Too stuff here in a second. But if, if they're going to do that, they also feel like the Washington Post, the New York Times, the New Yorker, they get a say in who Biden's VP should be. And in this instance, it's going to be, you guessed it, Stacey Abrams. Um, the fact that she claims to have won a, a race that she clearly did not win and that no honest person looking at the numbers and the reality says that she won. And it had record turnout, too. They, they talk about voter suppression. The turnout was the highest I think it had been in decades for the gubernatorial race. Um, but the facts don't matter. The reality doesn't matter. It's what they can convince enough people of that they can then achieve power and have their way. And Stacey Abrams for the media is, is she, she's if you work for a left wing flagship media news publication of some kind, Stacey Abrams is is your is your candidate, really. It's not about Biden. They all know this. I mean, Biden is ridiculous. They let this guy out of the basement too long and everybody starts to worry. Uh, Stacey Abrams is in a very different category in that she's younger and she's healthier and all the, all the rest of it. So and, and she's a minority and she's female, you know, all these things that the libs love. The libs don't love having a super old white dude represent their party. Let's be honest. They would love to have a female, uh, an African-American female vice president who then transitioned into the presidency. And they would pat themselves on the back of this forever. So I'm just pointing this out because the profile was like laughable. It was just bizarre. It just based on what are we seeing all this? Um, but they also view this as a, as a huge opportunity to make right what they see as clearly a bit off in this situation with Biden. 
you know, with uh, with Biden as their standard bearer, because no serious person. They, no one's excited about Joe Biden. Joe Biden's not excited about Joe Biden for president. Oh, yeah. But this is where this is where it is, folks. This is the situation in which we find ourselves, as I've told you. Um, oh, and, and one more thing. President Trump, you know, on the Obama thing, too. Trump is not letting this letting this go. Uh, Trump is saying that he, even if Attorney General Barr won't bring charges no matter what, which I think is what he's effectively said, uh, won't bring charges against Obama or Biden in the Russia collusion fiasco, Trump's not letting it go. Play clip 15. I have no doubt that they were uh, involved in this uh, hoax, one of the worst things ever to befall this country in terms of political scandal. I have absolutely no doubt that Obama and Biden were involved. And uh, as to whether or not it was criminal, I would think it would be uh, very serious, very, very serious. Uh, It was a uh, takedown of a president, regardless of me. It happened to be me. And in my opinion, it was an illegal takedown. And uh, but I'm going to let the attorney general make all of those decisions. I've stayed out of it. Let the attorney general make the call. As I said, that means that you're not going to see Biden and Obama in handcuffs at any point in time. But you will see, I believe you will see in general. uh, Well, if the bar, if the Durham report comes out before the election, it will show us all that that's when it'll all come together. And I think the timing of it might be really powerful. It'll come together right before the American people go to cast their ballots. We'll see whether or not they uh, at the very top level, they weren't just aware of, but had a hand in orchestrating, which is the key difference here, orchestrating the takedown of Trump personnel and with it, the Trump administration. And if we see that and if we have it with the clarity that I believe we might, I can't I haven't seen this stuff yet. The information, it's obviously all secret. But if it turns out that there is no way to avoid the conclusion that Obama and Biden were saying, yeah, go get Flynn, go get him, figure this out. And they knew what was happening. They knew that it was a setup. Oh, the Democratic Party is going to have a tough time living that one down for a while. Not that you know, the media doesn't care. They're always going to lie about this and act like. But I mean, for those for those Americans who are still open to having their mind changed about this, who have voted for Obama and would vote for Biden now, you know, who are still Democrats, but have an open mind about this. I think it may become irrefutable. And that's where the Durham investigation comes out. I'm certainly hoping that that happens uh, because it should then we'd have some measure of justice. We get justice here through politics and through who's put in power, who's put in positions of trust over the American people. Uh, don't look for the legal system to, to get it all done. That's not going to happen. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Speaking of Joe Biden, whatever happened to the Believe all women standard. Democrats have been twisting themselves in knots on this one. We know they've been trying to find some way to evade the standard that they very uh, clearly set in the past. And they're coming up short so far. Oh, that's not a surprise at all, is it? You mean their double standard came back to haunt them and now they just pretend that it wasn't there? And the, Oh, wow. What a shock. But there is a piece out there. Uh, that it was published in the New York Times uh, 
that was truly the most horrific steaming pile of bullcrap I have read in a long time. And it is taking the position. I'm not making this up. The headline is Believe All Women is a Right Wing Trap. Uh, hold on a second. Believe All Women is a Right Wing Trap? How is, how, how is this on us? Let's just take this a moment. We were not the ones pushing the Believe All Women story during Kavanaugh. We were not the ones who were, you know, Believe All Women is a Right Wing Trap. How, how does this even How does this even happen? How do we do this? And the answer, such as it is, the answer is uh, that Susan Faludi, who is a feminist, has come up with a, a an, an incredible act of intellectual alchemy. I mean, just just taking something and going blah blah blah, writing a bunch of nonsense around, and then saying voila, reality is not reality. The claim here, in order to protect... This is published in the New York Times, okay? The claim here, and I'm not making this up, I'm not exaggerating, this is what it says, is that it isn't believe all women. It was just, during Kavanaugh, believe women. What? And and to prove this, she says she looked at hashtags and what the most common hashtags were. No, no, no. Look, she's just not going to get away with this. She can try... And stupid people that don't care about the truth will read this and say, oh, aha, see, the right is exploiting this once again. They're lying about this. No, no, no. It, it is, this is not true. What she's saying is, is ridiculous. What they're saying is not fair or accurate, uh, what she's saying here. But this is how desperate they are now. They're saying that, that we inserted the all. It was just believe women. And that means listen to them and what? If you believe someone, you think they're telling the truth. So words have meaning. They, they can try to adjust this now and say, oh, no, believe all women sets an impossible standard. But believe women just means to say that someone's telling the truth. Here, here's what they uh, here's what she writes in the piece. All insertion was all the rage during the Kavanaugh hearings. When senators from Kamala Harris to Maisie Hirono had their regard for Dr. Blasey's credibility elevated by Fox News pundits to universal gender credulity, their actual words, I believe her, became believe all women. That's literally the hashtag. Uh, There's a great search function on Twitter and you can search the believe all women. For those of you who don't believe that's what the Democrats had in the case of Kavanaugh. Is there literally a hashtag? Well, kind of. No, the answer is yes. Look, uh, National Review has a good piece on this, and there are others that are looking at this. It's just, this is complete. The the title, actually, of the National Review piece is More Believe Women Revisionism. Um, Here's what what they, this is from Ramesh Panuru. The complaint against Kavanaugh didn't have contemporaneous accounts to back it up. It was an aspect of the allegation that was pretty hard to miss for anyone, given it was even, given even cursory attention. Faludi's attempt to get us to pretend not to know anything about the fairly recent past in this is a nice preview for what she attempts to accomplish in the op-ed. To the extent she succeeds at all, Ramesh writes, it is in defending the ludicrously narrow contention that the feminists use the words believe women rather than believe all women and that some conservatives have erred in the precise wording. 
But by the op-ed's end, she doesn't get us an inch closer to the conclusion that there was an implied sum in that slogan. Of course, the point of it was to flip the presumption of innocence. Of course it was. We're not idiots. They tried to light due process on fire and destroy it to take down Kavanaugh. Now it's coming back to bite them. Nice try, libs, but it's not going to work. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Got a treat for you all. I guess I should say y'all, but then people say I'm pretending I'm from the South, and we all know I'm a New Yorker. We have Dave Rubin, also a New Yorker, joining us now. He is the host of The Rubin Report and has a new book out. Don't burn this book. We will uh, adhere to that request, but we will show you the book and talk to you about the book right now. Mr. Dave Rubin, first time in the Freedom Hut, sir. Welcome. Buck, it's good to be with you. You are in New York. I am in L.A. All of the free people of America live between us, and yet we talk about freedom from these tyrannical authoritarian cities what have we done wrong in our lives that's the question i have to reach out to friends of mine who live in places like georgia and texas and florida and just bring them on the show so that there there are de facto freedom correspondents i'm like what is it like to have a governor who does not think that you can just lock people endlessly in their homes uh as as a result of all this and you know they they just had the uh, study come out i think you the uh, united study out of stanford yeah, this is about 2.8 times worse than the flu. So roughly three times worse than the flu for mortality. We're going to we're going to lock ourselves in. I mean, in California or in Cali, how long do you think it's going to get extended out there? Well, Buck, let's not forget also that, you know, it's not just that we're locked in our houses, but we also get the benefit of the super high taxes. So it's working out. You see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no. I... Um, <laughs> as far as as far as the lockdown, I mean, look, now they're telling us August 1st. Uh, I live in SoCal in L.A. It is 85 and sunny today. It was 85 and sunny yesterday. It was 85 and sunny every day last week. You pay the taxes to live here so that you can go to the beach, so you can enjoy the weather, so that you can go hiking, all that stuff. I mean, they've, they've stripped that from us, you know, on top of the fact that you can't go to a restaurant or, or anything else. But the bigger issue than the specifics of that, obviously, is that they just feel, and this is very consistent with progressive uh, thinking in general, they feel that because they say something, that that already has given it moral weight and that it's right in and of itself. So August 1st, well, we're not going to tell you why August 1st. or And we're not going to say, oh, maybe beaches at half capacity. We're saying no beaches. They just believe that because they say it, it is divine right. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people that live in these uh, cities and states, these blue places, they don't realize that that is just a fundamentally flawed way of looking at the world and having people govern you. So... I'm, I'm considering all options. I'm, I'm really not happy right now. And, you know, for guys like us to talk for a living, it's like we talk about freedom. We talk about, you know, individual rights, living, living life for yourself and your family and all of those things. And yet we live in states that are completely out of whack with those ideals. And uh, I, I am feeling that the rubber is meeting the road right now. Yeah, I used to tell myself that I was uh, behind liberal insanity lines you know i mean i grew up here also and i kind of didn't want to relinquish that i didn't want to give up because there is a there's at least about a million and change 
registered Republicans in New York City. I know, you know, L.A. County has got to have I know you guys are outvoted there, but L.A. County's got to have over a million Republicans in it. I know Orange County's got a bunch of. So you don't want to, like, leave, abandon your people. But then I also start to think, but I'm funding this monstrosity that is the Cuomo de Blasio axis of control. I'm actually sending them a check in a couple of months here, you know, sending these guys money. So but but just just putting a a pause in in that for and don't even just one more thing. If they lock you down until August, I just want to say, based on everything that I've seen and read, and I'm talking to doctors, all and doctors will speak to me. I don't know if you've had the same experience. And they're like, don't use my name and don't, because they're afraid, not just of their hospital getting wind of them speaking without going through the press office, which has been a problem, especially in the early days of COVID, but they're afraid that their peers who are very politicized don't oh, yeah. want, they, they, it's, it's kind of like the climate change thing. Like You better be on board with the consensus here on an issue where there can't be any consensus. I mean, COVID, there's a lot we don't know. Have, have you had that, too, with docs you speak to? I'm sure you got friends out on the West Coast, too. Oh, I've got friends on the West Coast. I've got a good friend who's a doctor in Texas. I've got a friend who's a, a doctor at a hospital in Long Island. Uh, I'm talking to all sorts of people, and, yeah, nobody wants to go on the record just to share their thoughts if, if the thoughts are a little bit out of mainstream, which, by the way, is a hell of a segue to my book because that's exactly the purpose of the book, that good people are no longer saying what they think, not because they're bigots or racists or politically radical or anything like that, but because they fear that this machine, this outrage machine, cancel culture, the mob, whatever you want to call it, that it is going to come for their job, it is going to come for their family and the rest of it. And I think too many people think, oh, if I just kind of sit it out or if I just kind of wait, that I'll be spared. But, you know, that's the frog in the boiling pot. And as I say, it never ends well for the frog. We're talking to Dave Rubin. The book is Don't Burn This Book. And we have promised not to do that. Uh, But we also encourage you to go buy it on Amazon or wherever you get books. I've actually started listening to books on tape during quarantine, which has been a new thing for me. Uh, But but Dave, how do we you know, this is where this is the, the, the great problem I find of most uh, really a lot of conservative commentary, not even just about books, is that we, uh, we identify problems that are all too real that people are aware of. Right? We'll talk about mainstream media bias, which is a very real problem. I mean, we're all quite aware of this. I worked at CNN as, a, you know, yeah. as, a, as an analyst years ago, um, and, and we see this. But then it's always, well, okay, it's kind of fun to, to poke at their hypocrisy and their stupidity, but there's always the what do we do about it. I'm sure you get into what do we do about it, but you're, you're a, an even-tempered and realistic guy, so tell me, what, what can we actually do about what you're talking about, which is the cancel culture, you know, shut your mouth or else world that we're living in now? Yeah. So at the individual level, there's only one answer. It's, it's the easy answer. And it's also the impossible answer, which is you just have to speak up. You, you have to find a way to be brave enough to speak up. That, that's at the individual level. For, for what you're talking about, for people like us that are public people that speak about these things, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about lately is we can all rail against CNN and the New York Times all the time. And they're awful. They, they are shells of the, their former selves. You know, I can tell you, my, my book's been out for two weeks. We made the New York Times bestseller list two weeks. They did not want to put us on there. And, you know, they, they don't even do it by the number of books sold, because I think we would have been number three week one. They put us at number 11. And then in their print version, they only list the top 10. Like, they do so many shady things. Um, and, and I only bring that up, not to pat myself on the back, but just to show if they're, messing up, if they're messing around with numbers of books sold, what else do you think they're messing around with when it comes to editorial and their, and their news coverage? What stories do they ignore for weeks like Tara Reid, uh, where, you know, if it was if it was Kavanaugh, we know what they would have done or what they did do, as a matter of fact. So I think for guys like us, we have to kind of decide how much time do we want to devote 
to the crumbling institutions versus building better institutions. I think that's what I've been trying to do independently here. I think that's what you guys are trying to do at the first. And it's like, just keep building, just keep building. Those guys will crumble. You know, the only reason anyone knows Brian Stelter is because he sits in a chair of a show called Reliable Sources, which should have been called Unreliable Sources, and then I would have no problem with it. But that was a show that Howard Kurtz had, you know, for 20 years until he got in hot water and then was booted and then went to Fox. But the point is, the chair is what matters, but the chair doesn't matter much more. You know what I mean? The, the institutions are crumbling, and I'm tempted to just let them crumble. I, I get more podcast listens than Anderson Cooper gets nightly views. I mean, the idea that we're always worried about what they're doing, yes, it, there's, a, there's a feeling like, oh, we need to worry about it because they're brainwashing people. But, you know, the more this, this blue state nonsense happens and we can't leave our houses and the rest of it, I think, as I said on Fox last night, it's like they're probably red-pilling people faster than we ever could. You know what I mean? Like, we can tell people facts. I think that was your point. We can calmly tell people facts, what's going on, wake people up. But the more that their lives actually get crushed by progressive big government policies, uh, I saw a video this morning, I think a guy in Boston who was just basically screaming, I've, I've had my business for 25 years, I'd rather open it up and take the risk with COVID. It's like, yeah, it's your, it's your business, it's your life, you're allowed to take risk. The progressives are basically saying, hey, no risk in life, no risk in life, we're just gonna keep you in your house. And uh, it wasn't me, but somebody, a wise man once said, those who would trade liberty for security deserve neither. Speaking of Dave Rubin, author of Don't Burn This Book, which uh, has, as he pointed out, already been rocketing up the bestseller list over at the New York Times. Uh, Dave, you have uh, some exposure to the libs that uh, others don't, and that you at one point worked at the Young Turks, right? Which, uh, or worked with the Young, you were, you were at the Young Turks. I'm just wondering what you, now that you are somebody, because they're not, uh, now I'm sure you probably have still have friends over there, so I'm not asking you to trash anybody or anything like that. No, I don't. Oh, okay, because they're the worst people in the universe. So (laughs) I'm just wondering, I'm just wondering what, uh, like what you learned from, I mean, you know, they're, they're the people that work over there and without even, you know, getting into naming them, uh, you know, some of them are exactly, they're the ones that grab the pitchfork and the torch the fastest to, you know, this person is a bigot, a racist, deplatform them. You know, they'll work with uh, that horrible group. What's it called? Uh, Sleeping Giants to try to get people boycotted. I mean, they're really at the, you know, and look, this is to be a true progressive in good standing. Now, you have to embrace that stuff. I mean, the people that don't do that, I think, are always, uh, you know, they they always wonder when they're coming for them next. So what did what did you learn from that process? Like, how can anyone basically how can anyone work for Media Matters and sleep well at night or the or the Young Turks? No, look, I don't want to get into the specifics of the people, but I can broadly talk about it. That's I mean, what I mean, yeah. It's so consistent with what, what, with what progressives do with everything. I mean, the Young Turks, they rail uh, for, they'll scream all day long that, that everyone should be part of unions, and unions are great, but they're not a union shop themselves. Um, you know, they, they'll scream about $15 minimum wage, but don't pay their own people $15 minimum wage and have a lot of, you know, when I was there, I had plenty of unpaid interns and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they'll scream that, you know, Republicans and conservatives get big VC money and billionaires are backing everybody. And they got 20 million from Jeffrey Katzenberg and they're in partnership, or at least we're in partnership with Al Jazeera, which is owned by the government of Qatar, which, by the way, uses slave labor. But, you know, let's not, you know, they're good lefties, so let's not bother them with that. Um, yeah, the hypocrisy is is off the charts. I would say in almost every case, what I learned about progressives by being there is they, they, uh, they put forth a set of rules 
that they don't play by, but they expect everyone else to play by them. And I think actually Trump's greatest skill was understanding that very early on. Other Republicans, McCain, Romney, the other guys that they ran, the average Republicans, and, he, and you see it with all the never-Trumpers now, it's like you guys are playing by a set of rules that, will, that, will, that are not fair to you. You're playing by a, as if the game is equal, but you have more rules than the other team, and you always wonder why you lose. Trump was just like, I see you guys. You guys are all cheaters. I'm going to do whatever I have to do. And that is why he has completely flipped these people out and decimated the media in the process. That doesn't mean that Trump is a perfect moral uh, archetype of what a man should be or anything like that. But, it, but in that regard, I think he's been a net good. But I would say generally, you, if you show me a progressive, within, within two seconds, you will find the worst sort of authoritarian right underneath that, that you know, Fancy veneer. It's funny. I had a. I, you, I'm assuming you know Michael Malice. It seems like he's the kind of guy that would have come across your, oh, yeah, your radar. Oh yeah, Malice. Yeah. Malice is a great thinker. Malice, great thinker. but we just we just hung out for a while on Sunday on his show and chatted about things. And what came up was, I mean, I, I told him. I think he he signed off on this too. That the the revolutionary the revolutionary strategy that Trump had was when they would punch him in the face, so to speak. Instead of saying, hey, don't do that. Let's be better than that. And then get punched in the face again. He actually said, OK, I'm going to punch you even harder. It's really that it's really that straightforward in politics, because you mentioned I mean, Romney and McCain. I mean, those guys were being bashed in ways that and, and they were supposed to like it. I mean, that's really if you believe the progressives and the leftist narrative, they deserve it somehow. And and, you know, maybe they can feel like better people at night. But I, I know we, we could talk about this for, for a very long time. Um, before we let you get back to uh, spreading freedom out in California, which certainly needs needs to happen, um, you know, it ain't do, easy, man. It ain't easy. Do you think do you think that people have learned in the aggregate? And it's very tough. But have we learned the right lesson here from the lockdowns and everything? Do people see this the way they should? Or are you afraid that, if anything, it just emboldens the kind of never Trump government will solve everything mentality and how that will play out this fall when there's an election? Yeah, well, it does expose a lot of the left's nonsense. It's like, on one hand, you're telling me Hitler is in charge of the government. And on the other hand, you're telling me, oh, we have to let the government tell us that we can only live in our houses. It seems like, like they don't seem to get that disconnect there. As I said earlier, I think the, the, the silver lining to all of this is the more authoritarian a government becomes, I think it, the more it wakes up good people to what freedom actually is. So short of an economic collapse that is beyond un unimaginable, and I'm talking about something significantly worse than what we have right now, despite how bad it is and 30 million people out of work and the rest of it. Just, if we don't get to that point, I think it bodes well for Trump. I think that most of the issues that Trump has been talking about China and borders, uh, Second Amendment, things like that, free speech. These things are all winners, I think, on the conservative side come the election. The only thing is, look, we're, we're five months out from it or something like that at this point, a little more than five months, actually. So anything can happen at this point. Anything can happen. I'm not even convinced that Biden's going to be the nominee. So it's like we got a weird thing coming politically uh, my hope is, and it's the only thing that allows a guy like me to stay in L.A. and I, probably a guy like you to stay in New York, that, that the more that these guys encroach, the more that de Blasio puts these absurd policies in to just quash people while he wanders around the park, um, that they will wake up. So it's like, you know, for all of us, it's like, do you stay and fight or do you bolt? I mean, Texas is looking pretty good these days. Yeah, producer Mark and I keep saying Florida's calling our name. So, or Texas, either one. We got great stations in both states. We can go hang out. Anyway, Dave Rubin, everybody. The book is Don't Burn This Book. 
The Rubin Report is the show. Mr. Rubin, great to finally have you. Thanks so much for joining us, and good luck with the book. Good seeing you, Buck. Be good. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Why have they failed to get this money out to the folks who desperately need it to stay afloat? Is it incompetence? Corruption? Trump was out there tweeting again this morning. I call him President Tweety. Reopen the country, end of quote. How are we supposed to do that if you're sitting on the money small businesses need in order to stay alive? Stop tweeting about it. Get the money out to Main Street now. It's there. It's been passed. This pandemic is hitting everyone hard. We need serious, competent leadership now more than ever. I got I to tell, <laughs> tell you, there's just something so perfect about a bunch of geese honking in the background. <laughs> I mean, at least he's out of the basement, right? I guess. I just think it's so funny. It's like, what are the chances that you have a flock of geese like flying right behind Blue Collar Joe? Is yeah, you got to get the, the money to the Main Street and the Wall Street and the, you know, an FDR landed on the moon and Abraham Lincoln took a Corvette to meet him. And he's like, what is this guy talking about? It's wild. This guy's wild. It's crazy. Oh, like in the background. Oh, so great. Oh, Biden. Oh, but he, he gave Trump a nickname, President Tweety. I would I would leave the nicknames this. Look, Marco Rubio, I feel like is finally starting to get his groove back. You know, he's, he's now the he's now the head of the Senate Intelligence Committee because Burr, who had done nothing. Can we just remember this for a second? That the Senate Intelligence Committee, how many important hearings did they have? What did they try to get to the truth of the Russia collusion nonsense? Did you No, nothing from them nothing it's republican republican majority in the senate so you know i think marco rubio has to be better than burr and probably isn't going to do any insider trading allegedly allegedly which is what burr did allegedly uh but but when you when you start to mess with nicknames with trump it's like you're entering the thunderdome with the king of the thunderdome that's not a good idea you know you don't want to you know producer mark who is like the greatest Hockey enforcer. See, I've learned terms now of all time. Uh, probably Marty McSorley. Right? You don't, do, you know, if you're having a bad day on the ice, do you throw off your gloves and try to get into it with Marty McSorley? Probably not. No, probably not. No. Right. That's what you're doing when you do nicknames with Trump. You're, you're, you're going up against the guy that's got five inches on you and has like two front teeth missing from all of his previous brawls. And just loves the pain. Okay, that's the guy you don't want to get into a fight with, you know, who's got like, you know, knuckles the size of uh, of golf balls. Like, that's not the guy you want to be throwing down with. But he wants to call him President Tweety. He's going to have to deal with the consequences. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. those funky beats it's time for roll call in case you were worried about this i just want to tell you something right now the un the un is on the case of 
gender descriptive language. The United Nations put out a tweet. I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. They put out this tweet yesterday. What you say matters. This is from the U.N. official account. Help create a more equal world by using gender neutral language if you're unsure about someone's gender or are referring to a group. So instead of policeman, right, police or say police officer instead of landlord, owner, boyfriend or girlfriend, partner, salesman, salesperson, manpower, no, workforce. Maiden name, family name, fireman, firefighter, husband, wife. No, no, can't say husband, wife. Uh Uh-uh, spouse. Thanks, United Nations bureaucrats. We all sleep better at night knowing that you are a giant waste of taxpayer resources and time. So there is that. Okay. Uh, Oh, one more thing before we get to the roll call. Uh, Do you want Fauci on your body, as in on your underwear? It's a fair question to ask. There's an L.A. clothing brand putting Fauci, Cuomo, and Newsom's names on underwear. This is a branding campaign to brand your butt with Cuomo or Newsom. That's right. You're going to have their name on you. Is this going to work? I don't know, but if you're ever wondering if liberalism is a mental disorder, I think this would be an exhibit in and of itself. Fauci underwear? What? And think think about this. This isn't really a gag, right? I mean, you're not wearing this because no one else is going to see your underwear. Now, maybe it doesn't really sell, but, you know, here we are. New York Post has written about it, and I'm talking about it. Okay, with that, Producer Mark, if we get you some Fauci boxers, you into that or nah? I mean, I don't really look for what the underwear looks like. Is it comfortable? That's a fair point. I mean, is this yeah. high-quality cotton? Exactly. You know? You know? I mean, hey. So we got roll call to get to, which, as you know, I love to do. Because I want to hear from all of you. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Also, BuckSexton.com, your one-stop shop. It's where we put all the fun things, uh, stories from the day, stuff from the show, we're working on getting gear there. It's just we got a lot of things going on. And there we have it. So with that, roll call. Jeff writes, good day. Hoping all's well in the Freedom Hut. I am a welder and one of the lucky workers called back to a small company after we became essential after three weeks of lockdown. I'm concerned that no news outlet, including Fox, has pushed back against Tyrant Witchmer and her racist claims. The swastika she speaks of is a Photoshop of her in a Nazi SS uniform, and the rebel flag is half stars and bars and half stars and stripes. I am not naive enough to say no moron was waving racist garbage around, but those two previously mentioned are by far what was mostly in circulation, 99.9%. I also see nothing wrong with law-abiding citizens exercising their Second Amendment right lawfully, considering most news outlets will cover the protests negatively anyway. I listen every day under my welding mask. Love the show, so keep up the great work. P.S. I'm not a fan of him and belly roll when you employ his persona, but I'm convinced Alex Jones has got to be as accurate with his news as ABC, CNN, NBC. Well, that's right. They're information warfare. I mean, they're just coming out there trying to tell people all the lies, all the untruth, and, and, you know, 
He's bona fide, 100% pure Angus beef of a man, Alex Jones. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I will eat my neighbor. I'll eat him. Bruce or Mark, are you my neighbor? Thank goodness, no. Well, then you don't have to worry about me eating you. I will eat my neighbor. It's very important that you remember that. Brian. Buck, keep up the good work. I've been a listener since the Blaze days, but the past year or so, you have become not to be missed listening for me. Thank you so much, Brian. I don't miss a podcast. I appreciate your well-reasoned analysis and commentary and your ability to be a voice of reason in these crazy days. Keep it up. By the way, tell producer Mark to keep up the good work, too. Your banter back and forth is a highlight of the show for me, and I'm 100% on board with the beer and bourbon salty version of the podcast you recently suggested. Do it! Well, that'd be kind of fun. But see, I feel see, I actually have to say, I don't know how folks would would feel about this, because on this show, because we we also this show runs on radio stations. So there are FCC rules. uh, So I uh, I can't. And I've established that, you know, this is part of my brand is you listen to Buck Saxon show. I, I do not use foul language. And, you know, you can listen to this show with any member of your family, with kids of any age. And, you know, we talk about serious stuff and intense stuff, but, you know, there's not going to be any. Uh, any potty mouth stuff going on here. That said, I do think that time and place matters. And I have thought about, especially when I'm in other venues or in other situations, say going on either HBO or doing someone's uh, YouTube show, if they're a little bit more free with their language. I've thought about that because in in my private life, as I've told you all, everyone who knows me, I I do curse off air. I mean, I'm not somebody that doesn't, I, I don't, object to cursing in in certain uh, circumstances Bruce Mark's probably laughing because he knows I, I'm not shy with salty language can confirm can confirm um, but I also feel like for some of you you appreciate that in in my public pers- in my public uh, speech in my persona out there in media everything that I'm doing I I keep it clean all the time but if, uh, you know, if that's not really the consensus, it'd be kind of fun to go on some of these other. It will never happen on radio because we're not allowed to. And also, I've established that this is a a clean lyrics only show, if you will, and always will be. But in some other places, I don't know. I've thought about it sometimes. But, I, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like once you break down that barrier, producer Mark, all of a sudden I want to just start dropping F-bombs like a B-52. Yeah. You can't have that. It makes a lot of extra work for me if you start cursing on this show. Well, because I then I have to show. bleep it. Yeah, but if like you accidentally we, we never would it. on the, we never would yeah. on this show. I mean, our audience expects a certain. No, level. I meant if you accidentally did it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no, you started yeah. doing other places. Right. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, because I've had days where I get so annoyed about something, I get so irritated uh, that I just, you know, I can't handle it anymore. I just want to let it rip, but I, I can't, can't do it. Can't do it. We'll do it live. Uh, Lori, Buck, I'm just watching or catching up on podcasts. Haven't checked in for a while. Well, Lori, we have missed you. Weighing in on my favorite M&M flavor, Coffee Nut. They're the best. I'm also, with producer Mark, being a huge hockey fan and really missing playoff hockey. There's just no other sport as uh, event as exciting. We're opening back up in Ohio and headed for... Uh, to, to SC, uh, South Carolina, for vacay in a couple of weeks where almost everything is open. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Lori. And yes, indeed, I, I hear you on all that. And thank you so much for writing in. And Mark, how much do you miss hockey? You may, you may, address, you may address the legions of Team Buck. I mean, I agree that uh, Lori saying that playoff hockey is the best sporting event in the world. That is true, and I miss it so much. But, you know, at this point, I'd watch the NBA playoffs. I'd watch anything. 
Maybe maybe not NASCAR. I'm sorry for you NASCAR fans out there, but I saw NASCAR's back. I couldn't. I don't care. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. it looks like there's some uh, momentum to sports coming back. Uh, I think baseball is going to be back in July, and it looks like the NBA and NHL might follow suit as well. All right. Yeah. That's what we like to hear. Um, yeah, look, I want sports. I would love that there was football in the fall. I will watch some because now that it's gone, or rather now that sports in general are gone, I, I, I'm, I do miss that they're around, you know. I think that it's, it's nice to have the options, what I'm trying to say. I want that freedom. Sure. I want that. Well, it looks like the NFL will start on time, so you don't have to worry about that. It really? Oh, that's good news. I was, I, I was unaware of that. Milewake, which means the good land. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call here. Greetings from the People's Republic of Illinois. I've been following you since the real news on The Blaze and part of the original Saturday Squad and now a faithful podcast listener. Ooh, OSS to podcast listener. That's what I like to hear. You are, in my estimation, the most intelligent and articulate voice on the airwaves. I love your history dives, every impression you've ever done, and your lighthearted banter with producer Mark. Not only do you keep me safe and warm at night, but also calm and sane during the day. I have two strikes against me with this COVID business. I have an autoimmune disease and I'm over 65. Nevertheless, I stand firmly with you. Our tyrannical governor needs to let us go. It is not everybody else's responsibility to keep me safe. It is mine. Illinois was in bad shape before the virus hit. With his policies, Pritzker is ensuring our complete demise. I'm against a federal bailout as well, which is what he probably wants. Freedom, in all caps, shields high. Great note, Susan. Thank you for the very kind words. Uh, it, it's it really, these days in particular, um, really nice to have some, uh, some encouragement and uh, especially, you know, given what we're all going through and, and the, the sh- putting the show on every day. And, you know, it has been, it's a challenge when some days you just want to start walking around screaming profanity at the idiots in charge that you got to go up and actually do uh, radio every day. So, indeed, um, that's, where we're, that's where we are on all this. So as for your sense of the risks you're willing to take and your view of things, Susan, I, I appreciate your honesty and your bravery and understanding that everybody has to be the arbiter of their own risk. Everybody has to be willing to make their own decisions about their lives every day and, and in so many different ways. So, yes, I'm, I'm with you on all that. And uh, God bless. Stay safe. And thank you so much. You've been listening to me now. I think the I think the. Buck Sexton radio show began and some of you knowing some of you listening know this better than me. The Buck Sexton radio show first started on Saturdays in February of 2012. So we are now in the ninth year, I think, because we've been doing it for eight years. Uh, So we're now in the ninth year of the show. And apparently the 10th year, you know, the 10th year of anything is when you become a true expert. So producer Mark next year, next year is when we make it rain dollar dollar bills. I'm good with that as long as I actually see some of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, we'll oh. make sure that happens. So let's, let's hope that that's, that's the trajectory of things right now. Let's hope they don't try to shut us all down again in the winter, too. That'll be a total nightmare. So we can't allow that. Jake writes, James Buckman Sexton. Indeed, my full name. Jake knows it. I am running with my dog on a beautiful day here in Georgia. I'm listening to your podcast with Nicole Arbor. That was fun, wasn't it? And I thought I heard you say you hadn't seen Remember the Titans. I mean, you can't be serious, sir. Whatever you're doing at the time of this reading, cease immediately 
and turn on Remember the Titans. Hands down the best sports movie ever and an amazing true story, a friend of mine became acquainted with the real Coach Boone following the movie, and he is an incredible guy. Prepare yourself a medium-rare ribeye, some mashed potatoes, and a gluten-free apple cobbler a la mode, then settle in for a cinematic journey that is essential. Rant complete. It's a good rant. I guess I guess I got my orders for this weekend. Yeah. I can't disagree. I mean, Remember the Titans is a fantastic movie. Top five for you for the sports movie? Oh, absolutely. Slam dunk. Yeah. Top five, huh? Yeah, never seen Remember the Titans. Never seen... Uh, well, I did see Miracle. It was very, very good. I agree. It was a very good movie. And uh, it's, isn't it funny? You change Kurt Russell's hair and put him in one of those really ugly sport jackets that people used to wear in the early 80s. And, he, you know, he's just like, uh, he's like the coach from Boston. Herb Brooks. Herb Brooks from Boston. Yeah, exactly. So did, is, was, he pretty, was he considered pretty um, apt in his portrayal of Mr. Brooks? Uh, yes, for sure. People uh, definitely rave about his performance. Because I will tell you, I thought the movie Foxcatcher, which was, is excellent, and it is a sports movie, uh, I thought it was... Uh, uh, the movie was just disturbing for me, right? So I, that's, I, I was super... Well, you've seen that, right? No. That's insane. What is it even about? Do they catch foxes? No, no, about, about, about like Olympic wrestling, not... No, 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 um, I don't care. Wow. Producer Mark, I think, I think you're missing out on this one because it's a mm. very good movie. And I'm not, I'm not somebody that usually gets excited. First of all, wrestling, like, come on. It's like not even a sport anymore at most schools. I got rid of it because of Title IX pressure. But uh, you know who was actually a great wrestler? It was Jim Jordan of Ohio. I think he was a state champion. Really? Yeah. That makes sense. Um, but the movie is about this billionaire from the DuPont family who tries to uh, build the greatest American Olympic wrestling team of all time. And it ends in tragedy. But, the, but all I can tell you is that Steve Carell playing this guy, I actually was curious because I had read so much about how good he was at it. If you watch the video of the actual guy and then you watch Steve Carell, it's Steve Carell is an incredible actor. He doesn't get enough credit. That's true. We can, he, when he does the serious stuff... Nobody ever watches it because they expect Steve Carell. Oh, he's just the funny guy, but he's actually really good. Well, I, I think that being a, I think that comedy is the hardest thing and being a comedian is the hardest, you know, that the, the hardest of all the jobs that people have in media. Uh, that's the one thing like stand up comedy. I've said this before. I'm not I, I've you know, I've filled in on the biggest radio show in the country. Uh, you know, I do radio every day. I'll do TV, any TV show, I'll go into any environment and do all that stuff. The one thing that I would have nightmares about would be getting ready to do stand up. But maybe that means I should do it. Producer Mark, you can sit in the audience and be like, you have terrible. Oh, oh I would be heckling <laughs> you so much. You can heckle me, you know? You'd be like, hey, everybody, I just flew in from Manhattan, and boy, are my arms tired. Then I'm done. Mark I, would be like, get off the stage. I would pay money to go watch you at an open mic night. <laughs> I would pay so much money for it. It would be bad. It would be bad. It would be kind of funny because... You know, the thing is, I have such a comfort. I mean, we speak to our, we speak to our beloved audience here every day, but I mean, in a room full of strangers like that live, trying to make them laugh, ooh, it's, it's hard. All right, next up here, Stacy Buck, I love your show. I live in Minnesota. I'm 65 years old, and I've had enough of COVID. I booked up a trip by air to South Carolina to knock a few things off my bucket list. I feel so free and alive now. I'd rather die than live under my bed. I'm going to live and stimulate the economy. Shields high. Well, Stacy, God bless um, I, I really admire your getting out there and, you know, living life, you know, take care of yourself, be safe. But that's that's true all the time. Right? We're always trying to stay healthy and make smart decisions. 
Patrick writes, you hate on almost every baseball movie ever. How can you not include the natural or 42 in your top five? Baseball is America's pastime. Are you a commie? Bruce or Mark picked that one. Yep, definitely picked out that message specifically. What's 42? Oh, 42 is the uh, biopic on Jackie Robinson. Actually, very, very well done. Oh, that, that actually sounds like it might be a very good movie. So maybe I'll check that one. And uh, I don't know. I, I've already got my I, the Remember the Titans. That's next on my sports movie list. Folks, always an honor and a pleasure to have you here with me in the hut. Pass along the Buck Sexton podcast to somebody. Remember, you can go to BuckSexton.com or just on Spotify or the Apple Podcast Store. It's free. Listen. Shields high.